Hi, and welcome to the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once a week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with the rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering just what we were eating during important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. Thanks for the prompt this week from my Twitter friends who suggested summer foods as a topic. But this isn't going to be a true summer foods episode, but more like a what I was doing one summer and it has to do with food. A kind of origin story, if you will. So I don't know about you, but my relationship with food changes in the summer. My palate, such as it is, changes, my appetite changes, and I don't think this is at all unusual, especially if you live in a warmer climate like I do here in Virginia. But even when I lived in Connecticut, I'd move into cold salads, lots of fruit, raw vegetables, lots of things that I grew myself, easy stuff that didn't require heating up the whole kitchen because I've never lived anywhere with central air, not even here. It is all window units, which is actually more efficient, but that's a podcast for another day. Anyway, so I'm going to do a callback to two chocolate cakes here and remind you that when I left off at the end of season one, we had just moved to our own place across town. And right around that same time, I went back to college to finish my undergraduate degree. I had dropped out after the World Debate Championships and worked with my father on Fisher's Island and eventually moved back to Providence and met Patrick. I had taken classes here and there in Providence, but I had never had the patience for dealing with other people in classrooms. And so I signed up for what was kind of an anomaly at the time, a brief residency program at a well-known university in Vermont. I'd work on my own with a mentor and advisor for four months on a project that we'd establish at the beginning of the semester. And then in July and in January, I would go to Vermont for three weeks and live on campus and present my work to my cohort. And God, did I ever learn to hate that word? And I still hate that word. And then move on to another mentor and advisor for the last week and work out what the next semester's body of work was going to be. While I would ultimately graduate with a Bachelor of Liberal Arts, my focus was on writing, specifically creative nonfiction, and it was a surprisingly robust program. I had a reading list of over 20 texts per semester, and I had to annotate each one of them. Plus, I had creative writing to do as well. In addition, because I never had successfully passed a math class in any of my previous attempts at normal college, I had to come up with a math and science component in order to graduate. Because I was concentrating my creative nonfiction on food writing and reading, do you see where I'm going here? I had worked out a way to do my science requirement by keeping a food and energy diet. For the entire semester, I'd write down everything that I ate in a day and what I did for activity, converting it into energy calories, blah, 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 and then determining whether or not I was eating enough, too much, or too little for the amount of energy I was expending. Mind you, this was well before the days of smartwatches and Fitbits and stuff, so I had to do all that math myself, and I didn't even know how to use Excel at the time. So I had started this resumed undergraduate education program in June, so I was eating lots of cold salads because, as I said, I love salad in the summertime. But it became pretty apparent after the first few weeks that I was just not eating enough food. Entire weeks would go by with me just taking 1,200 calories for the whole week. Entire days would go by and my food diary would say, 
cup of tea with milk and sugar for breakfast at 7 a.m., six strawberries, no lunch, 12 gummy bears at 2 p.m., three cans of Coca-Cola during the day, a tiger's milk or granola bar for dinner at 7 p.m., 16-ounce seltzer at 10 p.m. Sometimes instead of a granola bar, I had a handful of cheddar cheese goldfish or some toast. I survived somehow on sugars and carbs and the occasional protein. And before you think I was like 12 years old, I was a full-grown human person who just didn't see eating as a priority. And, and also, lest you think I was not woefully underweight or overweight or anything, I, there was never any indication that I was unhealthy. So my advisor at the time, whose name was Rhoda, was head of the psychology department, and she got my monthly packet of writing and my food diary with the math and the science worked out, and she called and said, I want to talk to you about your food diary. And of course, I got a little panicky because I'm really bad at math, and so bad, I do not have the brain for algebra, which is why I hadn't graduated college, partly, the first time around, and I was really afraid she was going to say that this piece of my semester's work was not robust enough and would not count towards my math and science requirement, and I would have to come up with some other project. But that's not what she wanted to talk about. She wanted to gently ask me if I suffered from disordered eating. I told her that I didn't. I was not a person who worried about weight or calories or fat or anything like that. I was just not hungry, and sometimes my anxiety made it hard for me to sit at a dinner table. I was kind of a grab-and-go kind of person. She continued to ask very gentle questions about the anxiety at the table, about what I ate as a kid, what my upbringing was like. And by the end of that hour-long check-in, I had reworked my entire semester's work and the next semester's. I would write out some of the recipes and the stories of my childhood. Rhoda said it would be a good exercise and would absolutely fit into my overall creative nonfiction food writing and the food diary math project. And so I started working on these stories that you have heard in Two Chocolate Cakes. I truly began that writing project thinking it would be these sweet set of essays about learning to cook with my mother. But the more I dredged my memory banks for the stories and the recipes, the more I understood why I had anxiety about dinner tables. The more I started sorting out what was really happening in our household, the more I started understanding why I would seek solace outside our family unit. I know not everyone who listens to Sidecar Podcast is up for the Two Chocolate Cakes pod, and that's okay, but I wanted to do a little throwback to it today because when I was thinking about what to write and several folks suggested summer foods, I was immediately transported to that conversation with Rhoda, my advisor, who clearly knew what was going on with me when I had just no idea. I love talking about food. I would say I have a much better relationship with it now than I did when I was a kid, a teenager, or someone in her 20s. And I can thank that professor in that program I did for helping me get to a place where I could accept where I did have an eating disorder. It was just so different from any of the ones I had ever seen on after-school specials or read about in Seventeen Magazine or whatever. There was easily an entire decade in my 20s and 30s where I didn't go out or go to other people's houses for dinner unless it was a cookout or a buffet because my anxiety was just cascading panic attacks. I think that this is what now it would be called childhood post-traumatic stress disorder. Right around this time, though, when I was starting writing of these essays, 
I also got a new neurologist for my completely out of control migraine headaches, and he put me on a very low dose of a medication that had a side effect of tamping down my anxiety. And my whole world changed. I like to think it was the combination of understanding where my anxiety had come from the childhood traumas that were often centered around mealtime coupled with this new medication, but honestly, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that I stopped having uncontrollable panic attacks at dinner tables or out in restaurants or in the grocery store or on the way to any of those places. Now, I don't want you to think that I started eating better as a result of this great revelation, because honestly, I'm still a grab-and-go, a nibbler, a human ant that just goes looking for sugar, a food hoarder, and all kinds of things. But I understand where a lot of these issues issues come from, um, except the human ant thing. I have no idea where that comes from. I love going out to eat. I absolutely adore the farmer's markets and seeing all the food there. And one of my favorite things while traveling is going to new grocery stores, especially in other countries. I love visiting other people's houses, including my mother's house before she sold it, and sitting at the dinner table with her and my stepfather for hours has, for the last 20 years has been an absolute joy in my life. Hanging around the kitchen table with folks, as long as they aren't bickering or arguing, that is still a problem for me for obvious reasons. And I love talking about food, and I love making food, and I just don't love eating food all the time. I'm just not hungry. I do try to have some protein every day, and I have since augmented my migraine migraine regimen with two new medications, one of which has really turned down the constant squeak of my sweet tooth. And I know I joke all the time about how much I love sugar and chocolate and dessert, but I actually can just have one sweet treat a day and be perfectly content. Like uh, I got a box of C's chocolates from Ben and it took me almost two months to get through the whole one because I would just have one a night. My problem is that I still buy it like I eat it by the hands full. And that is probably a job for a whole different therapist. Anyway, in other news today, I went to the farmer's market here in town because Ben was just dropping me off and he drove off with the bags in the car. So I just got some tomatoes from my neighbor who's going to make tomato pie. And if you've never had tomato pie, which I hadn't before last summer, it's so good. I will ask her for the recipe and share it with you. And while at the farmer's market, kind of sulking because I didn't have my bags and I won't use plastic bags because my whole day job is trying to get rid of single-use plastic crap. There was this band playing and I stopped to listen and they were playing Wagon Wheel, which if you know anything about cover bands that do blues and rock and roll, it's like the first song you learn. And I don't care. I loved hearing it and it made me very wistful for those summer days in my Providence backyard with my old 700-pound laptop writing out my food diary and the very beginning inklings of this entire podcast some 100 years later, while Patrick played this song in his guitar, but changing the words so he worked in all the cats and the dogs and their shenanigans. And I sat on the curb on this lovely day, breezy, dry, cool weather while people milled around me, and I cried behind my sunglasses for that old life where our whole community shared tools and food and a community garden, and it truly didn't matter if you were a Democrat or a Republican because the differences were mostly about taxes with a few exceptions. And anyway, it was a whole morning, and now I'm congested, so that's why I sound like this. 
tomorrow I will go to the farmer's market in Dale City, making sure I have my bags with me, even if I don't have my husband with me, and try to get out of there with some eggs and maybe a quart of fresh milk and some garlic whip and fresh pita from our favorite Lebanese food vendor and some kettle corn from my friend June. And I'll continue my hunt for black raspberries and maybe get some more peaches and blueberries and make a Greek yogurt peach blueberry cake, which is so delicious and so easy. And it makes a terrific breakfast treat, I might add. And the definitely the plan is to not cry at the farmer's market tomorrow. I need some transition sounds like Jen and I have on the agenda because now it's time for Amy Roan, cookie correspondent. I know that was a little rough. Anyway, this week in Crumble Reviews, Amy reviews. The Reese's peanut butter has a good base. The peanut butter and chocolate spread on top are messy. Get a glass of milk before consuming. The cookie isn't dry, but it will make you thirsty. The Twix was overall too sweet and not enough contextual contrast. Textural textural contrast. I missed the crunch of the cookie layer in a Twix. Peach ring tasted exactly like a gummy peach ring in all its artificial peach glory. The icing had a bit of sugar crystal mixed in to give it that same exterior texture. The M&Ms was loaded with candy. The candies give it a nice texture. Didn't try the Rice Krispie Treat cookie thing. I can do that at home and lick the bowl. Overall, not my favorite week, but if one loves chocolate candy, it would be a good time. Thank you, Amy. And speaking of cookies, one of the creators I follow on TikTok, Chloe Bluffcakes, who makes these monster cookies and had a restock yesterday, and I just happened to catch it. So I ordered two of every cookie she had, which I think was four different flavors, and I'm excited to try them out. And in that way where I just love it when my worlds collide, she sent her mother's beloved KitchenAid stand mixer and Note, her mom died two months ago of brain cancer. To my friend, Mr. Mixer in Kansas, for him to rehab that mixer for her, and I just love seeing that kind of collaboration. I know that he will treat her mom, Jenny Wren's mixer, with love and respect, and I know that sounds weird talking about a mixer, but, well, I don't know what to tell you. That mixer might be one of the most important things to Chloe right now, and that she's trusting it to a relative stranger, that's a big deal. Big love to both of them. Okay, enough of this melancholia. Let's talk about this week's food holidays, shall we? Because we are inching up on the first day of summer. I feel like my Oprah voice is getting much better. What do you think? That was my sound effect. Okay, tomorrow, June 19th, is Father's Day. So celebrate responsibly if you have fathers or if you are a father. It is also Dry Martini Day, and I am not a martini purist. This may be the one area where I prefer a stunt version of the thing. I love lemon drop martinis, and that dragon fruit martini I had at dinner last weekend was so delicious, I am still thinking about it, which is very rare because, as you know, I'm not much of a drinker. It is also Juneteenth, which is one of those holidays that I am both glad and sad about. I'm glad we're acknowledging it, but I am sad that, like with many holidays, it has already lost its meaning with so many people who probably never understood or even cared to understand its importance in the first place. For folks listening who are not in the United States, or if you're in a state that now only teaches whitewashed history... President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, making all enslaved persons free, on January 1st, 1863. But the word of the proclamation 
didn't reach the over 250,000 enslaved persons in Texas until two years later on June 19, 1865. It's only been in the last few years that Juneteenth was a federal and state holiday, though. Okay, so Monday is Vanilla Milkshake Day, and I am a huge fan of milkshakes. And to tie this whole podcast up with a nice bow today, when I'm not feeling great, I do try to get a milkshake in me for calories and a little protein. I actually find that when I have an intractable migraine, that frozen foods can sometimes help. And my working theory is that it has something to do with numbing the trigeminal nerve. Now, here's a surprise. June 20th, which for us is a holiday this year because of Juneteenth falling on a Sunday, is also Take Your Cat to Work Day, and I'm almost disappointed that our offices are closed that day. Of course, the question would be, which cat would you take to work, Jen? Well, probably I'd consider Pete, since he is a cat doctor and he'd want to give everyone wellness checks, but he also hates riding in the car. So then I'd consider one of the murder kittens, and just give them a list of the people in the building that annoy me, but I feel like that has liability written all over it, so I'd probably bring clown shoes because he's like the golden doodle of the household and everyone loves him. Tuesday is National Peaches and Cream Day, which makes it a great day for a peach milkshake, to be honest, so just do that. Peaches are coming in here in Virginia, and the ones I got last week were fine. They were a little on the small side, and their skin was very thick, but I suspect that's just the variety of peaches that they were because they were early. They tasted great, though. I had some with some vanilla yogurt for lunch one day last week. Um, Tuesday is also summer solstice, which means it's the longest day of the year in the official beginning of summer. And it's also cookie dough day, which I don't even understand. Um, but whatever, I don't make the rules or the calendar. Wednesday, June 22nd is national chocolate eclair day, which hooray, I love chocolate eclairs. And I will tell you a little secret. The grocery store sells these tubs of frozen chocolate eclairs, little mini ones, like 30 in a bucket. And they are so good. It's also Onion Rings Day, and as far as I know, the grocery store does not sell buckets of frozen onion rings that I know of. I'm sorry. I wish they did, because I I think people would like that. Thursday is Pecan Sandy Day, and if you don't know what a Pecan Sandy Day is, a shortbread cookie made with pecans. I think that one of the big cookie companies, Keebler or maybe Nabisco, makes a very good pecan sandy. They were definitely a special occasion cookie in our house growing up, like Oreos, but even more special. And I will buy a bag now and then when I'm feeling nostalgic, because they are still delish. Perfect with a cup of tea. They are also a good breakfast cookie. It is also National Pink Day, and I actually had to click through to see what that actually meant, and it actually just means the color pink. And in an interesting twist of cognitive dissonance, it is Women in Engineering Day. Pink is one of my favorite colors, and when I got cancer, all of the paperwork and materials I got from the doctor came in pink folders and pink envelopes, which I really resented. I was sure I would never wear pink again, but I am absolutely wearing pink again, because breast cancer branding does not get to co-opt pink. Now, on to Friday, June 24th, is National Pralines Day. And it's funny because I call um, pecans pecans, and instead of calling them pralines, I call them pralines, which is a southern way, um, because I am just like an onion myself. I have layers. And it is totally not the right season for pralines because that is absolutely a wintertime treat, but I love making them at Christmas time and giving them as gifts because they are so decadent and they seem so difficult to make. And spoiler alert, they are not. 
In fact, I suspect that Prawlings might be one of the quarterly surprises for the folks who have joined the Patreon. And if you like quarterly surprises, you may want to join the Patreon too. It is also Take Your Dog to Work Day and Food Truck Day. And if I were going to have a food truck, it would be all deviled eggs all the time, I think. I would call it Wicked Chicken Deviled Eggs, and I would sell egg salad sandwiches as well. It's also Cream Tea Day, which... I wish it was easier to get clotted cream in the United States because I love it so much. And yes, you put the cream on the scone first and then the jam. Um, do not at me. Saturday the 25th is Strawberry Parfait Day. And I know I have asked this before, but who actually eats parfaits anymore? It is also Catfish Day, and thankfully it does not appear anyone eats catfish in a parfait. It is also Anthony Bourdain Day, and I don't usually note birthday holidays, but since this is a podcast that is often about food and travel and community, it seems fitting that we make sure we remember him today. I have never been a fan of the whole celebrity chef oeuvre because honestly, they're assholes. And I know because I've met many of them. But I definitely got a different vibe from Tony Bourdain through his writing and his shows. No reservation and parts unknown were easily the best food travel shows in history. And if you haven't seen them, find them on your streaming device and watch them. While I do not like to think that I have a parasocial relationship with celebrities, I was absolutely gutted and sobbed when he departed this mortal coil. Okay, friends, that about wraps it up for this week. Let me know what you're seeing at your farmer's markets in your community or what's growing in your garden, and maybe give your fridge a deep clean so that you can put more fresh vegetables and fruit into it. And don't forget your own bags when you go shopping. Definitely let me know if you need me to send you some. I have grocery bags and I have produce bags, and I totally will send you some. See you next week.